G people, hello and welcome to Blockchain Insider. I'm Mauricio Magaldi, Global Strategy Director for Crypto at 11FS, and this is episode 187. I'm joined by my amazing co-host Kai Sheffield, head of Crypto at Visa. Hi Kai, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm fantastic. I've been looking at this show for a while. Like this show, the combination of the case study format with a great company, with a great topic, like it's it's going to be fun. Awesome. So a few months back, we did our first ever case study with Wallet Connect that you guys in the audience seem to love. So we want to take a moment to thank you for your support on that show and also give back to you guys in the best way we know how. So without further ado, in today's episode, we're going to be looking at another fascinating case study. On March 27, Dune published a blog post to announce the launch of their first LLM feature and announced a full suite of LLM features and integrations to come. They introduced some exciting new features, and according to the blog post, the power of GPT-4 will provide you with a detailed explanation of the query, helping to improve your knowledge and speed up your journey to data mastery. Now, whether you like it or not, AI has seemingly been everywhere lately. 2023 is definitely the year of the AI boom, led by OpenAI's very own ChatGPT, so this headline instantly caught our attention. Innovation in this sector is not slowing down, only ramping up, and it's slowly but surely starting to mesh with the crypto space. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the history of Dune, their new LLM roadmap, how ChatGPT plays into all of this, and what the future holds for AI and crypto. And we have a fantastic guest who will explore all of this with us. So we welcome Max Olson, co-founder and CTO at Dune. Max, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing? Thank you very much. I'm doing excellent. Um, thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. So before we dive in, just as a reminder to our listeners, the views or opinions of our panel are their own and don't necessarily reflect those of the companies that they're representing. And as always, nothing we say should be taken as tax, financial, or legal advice. So do your own research. Let's get this thing started. So let's start from the top, right? Uh, let's get familiar with Dune and the amazing work the team is doing so we can kind of build on top of that. So Matt, for, for those that who might not be familiar with Dune, can you please give us a brief history of Dune and, and how you got started? Yeah, for sure. So for those that don't know, Dune is a community data platform. So what that means is that we, we surface all data in crypto to the entire crypto community. Frederick and I got started back in 2018, and we got started actually by prototyping smart contracts on test nets and realized quickly that one of the hardest parts was reading data from the blockchain, and in particular, reading data in aggregate form. And so whenever you wanted to answer questions like, how many times was my contract interacted with over time, that was basically impossible in 2018. My role in the company where I worked previous to starting Dune was a data scientist and ML engineer. And so I was immediately fascinated uh, by this problem space. And eventually, Frederick and I left our jobs and uh, started building what, what today is Dune. How did you come with the, the idea of the initial use cases and which were these use cases at first? Yeah, so the initial use case was like for all the all the developers, all the engineers building in the crypto space, reading data from the blockchain was a common 
pain point. Like I remember back in that time, Aragon was like the leading DAO framework and it would actually sync the entire blockchain to your browser in order to work. So this was the state of things. And we really thought that there must be better ways. And we started working on what we thought would be you know, the, the mix panel or amplitude of crypto. Along the way, we figured that like, it was the data that really needed a lot of investment. It wasn't necessarily the sort of visualizations and querying of it. And uh, we landed a handful of customers that would just pay us to query the data. And eventually, we sort of fired those customers and made what Dune is today, which is an open platform where everyone can query this data for free. So it's super interesting to me to think about how, like, there's one use case, which is common in in Web2 of just, you're building a product. How do you understand what's happening with that product? You know, you need analytics for how your customers are interacting with your product. And it sounds like that was a, a real challenge in the space that you started to solve. But the difference here is that it's not just you who has access to the data of how customers are interacting with your product. It's everyone has access to the data of how customers are interacting with your product. So you, can you talk more about what it means to have all of this really interesting, valuable transaction data publicly available, and then the fact that you can have any pseudonymous person on Twitter now have the tools to be able to build really powerful dashboards that can monitor and extract insights from anyone else's product, even if that analyst did not work for the company by which the product was built that they're analyzing. Yeah, for sure. This is a paradigm that's so hard to explain to people outside of crypto. So in crypto, we're, we're building a new financial system, uh, basically. And all of this data is at your fingertips at Dune. And what you're mentioning, I like to call like a stakeholder explosion. Like building in Web2, a data point, like a user using a product that data is only available and interesting to maybe the user itself and the people who are building the product. In crypto, this data is, is interesting to those two parties, the product's competitors, the you know, investors of the company, the investors of the competitors' companies, the community, the regulatory agencies, the other builders, like it's really like a stakeholder explosion. So that single data point that used to have like one or two interested parties now has, you know, a hundred or thousands. And so really that was a fundamental insight that led to us like turning Dune from like a B2B data platform to like opening it up and turning it inside out and saying, you know, we need everyone's eyes on this data and we all need to work together to like make sense of it. But it's really like, the blockchain is, you know, quote unquote, like a dark forest, like everything can happen there. Everything does happen there. And, and making sense of it is really hard with a small team. And so on Dune, hundreds of thousands of people get together to make sense of everything. That, that's really powerful. The, 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 the story about uh, Web 3.0, not Web 3, the contextual and semantic web is all database, right? Everything is data. Every data can be uh, analyzed and, and resourced for decision-making. 
that itself is very powerful. But there's always like use cases that come to mind that uh, kind of are hallmarks for everything that's possible. So, and th those are likely the more successful uh, use cases. So, in, in your history, what is like you know the couple of hallmark success cases you think defined Dune over its existence? For sure. So. Building Dune was really hard for the first couple of years because the, the speed of the space was not great. Uh, but we built Dune to be a very flexible platform. And Dune went from nothing to everything over an event called DeFi Summer. And what happened was, since Dune has the flexibility to allow anyone to input arbitrary smart contracts and decode and get understanding of them, Dune was the only place on the internet where you had minutes of turnaround to analyze a new DeFi project. And so that was really what catapulted us into um, the scene, was our flexibility. And people flocked to the site to add you know, the newest DeFi project. And really, doing scaling to, to that amount of traffic and that amount of smart contracts added to the system was a real success for us. And then the same happened over, over the NFT boom later, which really sort of cemented in, in the eyes of the community, I think. So I, I have to ask, like, how do you define a dune wizard? I hear this term of like dune wizards. He's a dune wizard. She's a dune wizard. What, what does that mean? And kind of what is the role of individuals who are doing the work that you as a company, you never could have added as many smart contracts and you know, put these you know, dashboards up. It's, it's crowdsourced by individuals across the internet. Yeah. Wizards is what we call our you know, most devoted and active user base, the people who actually sit down and write SQL, uh, this programming language for data, to really extract and understand uh, what's going on in crypto. And so the term is loosely defined and something we, I, I would personally say that anyone working on Dune uh, typing queries um, into the text editor um, is a wizard. You mentioned one thing that's very curious to me, which is you know uh, this kind of financialization of the internet that Web3 enables. And you said anyone can use Dune for free. Now, you're a commercial company. So how's the, how's the business model? How, how do you keep the lights on? So this is something we've iterated on over time. And so really our business model today is to cater to teams that are building in Web3 and offer them tools that are suited for you know, collaborating in, inside a team and getting the most out of the data that's available on Dune. And then that's how we, how we pay our bills. And that's how we think we can provide the most utility back to the, you know, the builders who are ultimately those that we serve. Got it. So one final question before we jump to the next section is, when token? <laughs> Ever since we founded Dune, I've had two questions in my inbox every single morning. Uh, the first one is when token. The second one is when API. So we recently launched our API, which we're super excited about. And the answer to when token is probably never. That's the that's greatest answer. Uh, if you don't need a token, then you don't need a token. Uh, that's cool. So let me hand it over to you, Kai, for the next section. Yeah, so now that we have a, a good background about Dune, wanted to get into the, the recent announcement. Uh, so can you explain Dune's LLM roadmap and how is how do you see the opportunities of AI and LLMs and chat GPT 
you know, impacting Dune's business and, and what are you building with it? We've followed the evolution of large language models for a while. I was really skeptical, to be honest, that these models would get to a point where it would make sense for us to use them in, inside Dune. And then I was blown away by the release of GPD-4. And it took me 30 minutes to realize that this is going to be huge. Large language models are ultimately you know, information retrieval systems. And if you think about Dune, it's an information retrieval platform. Like Up until today, we've relied on a network of humans, a community, to you know, go through all the data points on the blockchain and make sense of it. And I think now with the help of large language models, what we're really excited about to allow more people to get to the understanding of the data. And so our LLM roadmap is all about lowering the barriers to entry into Dune and you know, making, more, making more people more productive on Dune. And so let's, let's start with the, the query translation product. And I think one just observation that I've had is there, at least from what I've seen, a number of people who did not understand SQL and had no experience writing SQL where Dune was effectively the first time that they started learning to write SQL. So we actually had an intern who came to us you know, last summer and just got super interested in blockchain data and basically taught himself SQL through Dune. And by the end of the summer was doing some incredible dashboards and an analysis of different NFT projects. And so how does the query translation first, how exactly will that work? And then how does that specifically lower the barrier to entry and help people you know, learn blockchain data and help people just learn SQL you know, as a, a valuable skill set in the first place? This is actually one of the things I, as a technologist, am uh, super proud of, is the fact that people have learned SQL just to use Dune. And I taught my co-founder, Frederick, to write SQL back in 2018. And he, in turn, uh, went on calls with you know, our five first users and taught them SQL. And so despite the barrier to entry on Dune being, in my opinion, ridiculously high, like people all over the world have sat down and learned from other Dune users how to write SQL, how to make sense of blockchain data. Now, the query translation feature is an on one because Dune's underlying data platform has evolved as the size of the data and the blockchains that we support has evolved. So when we started out, we were using a database called Postgres. That's really great for you know, small to medium-sized data. And then we started playing around with adding data to you know, blockchains like BNB Chain, Polygon, Solana, which are data beasts. And really getting the performance and UX out of those systems was really hard on the legacy platform. So over time, we added multiple versions of SQL to the platform. And this has caused some confusion among our user base. It's one of the things I really regret. And so the query translation features that we're launching uses AI and SQL translation to convert everything into Dune SQL, which is the standard SQL dialect on Dune. And so I'm really excited about that because it takes away sort of um, all, the, all the friction of uh, interacting with different databases. One question on that is, you told us that you, you launched your API. So is, is this a plan to also offer some of those capabilities through the API service, or would 
just be enabled for the wizards. And again, just to be annoying, what is the business model for that? To be clear, the query translation feature is more of a quality of life functionality for our wizards. So we won't be charging for it. It's a way for us to assisting all of them to migrate over to our newest platform. Now, we have a few other features that we will be exposing both through Dune.com and, and programmatically, like, for instance, the natural language querying, which is something we, we hope to launch in the, in the next couple of weeks. We have a, a group of devoted wizards in Telegram who's helping us shape the future of this product. So I think it's going to be really awesome. So but before we get to the natural language querying product, I'm still stuck on just the, this concept of, you know, we all know how important it is you know, for people to learn technical skills. Like learning SQL seems like a very valuable skill just in the modern economy, like being able to analyze data and learning SQL. Now, if you're someone who's non-technical like me, who's never like really written code, I've never really written SQL, one, it's hard to know where to start. And it's not that fun or interesting to just do some you know, online tutorial learning SQL for the sake of learning SQL. And so would you say that like, the fact that you have this incredibly valuable database of public transaction data with real potential for alpha and insights, if you can figure out certain things about that data, that becomes this really strong motivator for people to do the work to learn SQL because it's applied where they're learning it to answer a question that they have or to be able to get data that they want. And you couldn't do that with Web2 because you don't work for Facebook or Google or like you're not inside their company. And so, hey, if you're just trying to learn on your own, like you, you can't get interesting data there. Do you think that's part of what has made this so powerful is that anyone across the world, if they learn this skill, can directly benefit from it by being able to access incredibly valuable information. And so it becomes a more practical motivator, I'm going to learn this so I can answer this question. And it's not just dummy simulated data on a tutorial. It's like real data that maybe nobody else has like peeked into that part of the forest before and that you can understand something that other people don't. For sure. I think you hit the nail on the head there. There's something about this data set that makes, you know, the whole experience unique. And learning SQL, because maybe there is like a, a reward and in the end, be that you know, alpha or be that, you know, the clout that you as a Dune wizard may, may get from racking up thousands of stars on your dashboard, there seems to be an effect that drives people to learn SQL. So when we talk about AI, like there's like one camp of people who say, all right, like all programmers are going to lose their jobs. And there's one camp that says we're going to have a thousand times more programmers. And I'm in the latter camp, like, because this makes it a lot more easier to use code and get started with code, be that SQL or any other language. And so that's why I'm really excited about sort of the combination of, of large language models and Dune and crypto. So, so you already had, you had a community of people you could learn with. And so you're learning SQL, but you're looking at other queries. You're in a Telegram group, you're in a Discord. You know, anyone in the world could just pop in. And I found Dune Wizards are incredibly helpful and they like want to teach each other, you know, how to do things and you know, help provide advice. And so that's existed for a while. Now you have these LLM capabilities. And so starting with, isn't there the ability to just have a, a query translated to human language 
so that I could just read what that query does. Like if I look at SQL code, I can't tell you what the SQL code does, but just explaining it in words, what it does, can you talk about that as a learning tool? And is that is that live today? Is that where you're heading? Like how will that help people when you can see a query that you like and then press a button and have it read to you in human language so that you know what exactly it's doing that you can then use as, as you learn to write queries yourself. Absolutely. And this was the first feature that we launched using large language models, was using uh, GPT-4 to explain a SQL query in human language so that you can follow step-by-step if you want and understand what the query is doing. So on Dune, you have hundreds of thousands of queries, and some of them are thousands of lines long. I'm not proud about that latter part, but it's the truth. Sometimes you'll find work that wizards have done that will just blow your mind, but it will also be impossible to understand. And so using AI to, to help understand these you know, complex beats of queries, I think is really, really interesting. And it's also quite easy to do. So it was the first thing we did because it had immediate impact for our user base. So I'll add to that as well, because one of the primary ways people onboard to Dune is by looking at content that other people produce. So they'll they'll go to a popular dashboard, look at a query, they'll inspect the SQL and say, this will nearly work for whatever I'm trying to do. They'll fork that query and start working off of that. And so that's really the value of community comes into Dune, is that you can remix and whenever you have a question, you don't have to start from scratch. You know, you don't have an empty text editor. You have all the lines of SQL that somebody in the community wrote before you. And then what about the the natural language querying? So let's get to like, this to me seems like the, you call it the, the holy grail. And so just for me personally, again, I don't know how to write SQL. I've got a bunch of questions about blockchain data. You know, how, how much in gas was paid for USDC transactions last week? I just, I gotta know. Like, I'm really curious with all the gas price increases. And so normally I would go and ask one of our Dune wizards, and I'd be like, hey, like, can, can you write a query? Because I don't know how to do that. And so you're telling me that I can just ask that as a question to effectively a Dune chatbot, and then it will spit out SQL that I can run. And so I can be self-sufficient. And that means that I can do a thousand more queries because I don't have to go ask other people. And the SQL is just happening in, in the background. Is that how you're looking at it? That's exactly how we look at it. And so we really think this will, you know, make a lot of people like yourself a lot more efficient when it comes to data. So you mentioned you have to ask a Dune wizard to do something for you. I think those days will soon be over, at least for the types of questions that you are asking here. Now, if you have on your mind something that would produce a 1500 line SQL query in the background, I still think you need your Dune wizards. But if you have a question like, what's the top uh, DEX? Last week, what was the most grossing NFT collection in the past year? Stuff like this. Uh, how much gas was spent on NFT trades in 2022? The stuff you will be able to answer and ask in pure English will generate the SQL in the background and run the query. Now, one of, one of the things that I feel is very compelling, uh, and, you, and you brought that up a little bit earlier, is the most of the stuff that is data driven it's implemented like in a single chain because you know it's work enough and you have built 
a platform that goes cross chains. Now, my question is, is Dune SQL and obviously uh, the natural language uh, uh, functionality, will it be able, is, is it already able to parse through multiple chains? So if I want to say how much uh, fee revenue the L2s have had in the last 60 days, is this something you were able to kind of uh, parse through and, and create? Because these economics of the multi-chain world are right now some decision-making points for some of the institutional companies that are trying to break into crypto that are not Visa, Kai, <laughs> that are coming in. And these are obviously relevant decision-making points. So is, is this something uh, users will be able to uh, explore further? The answer is yes, but there's nuance to it. So on Dune, you have different categories of data. So you have at the bottom, you have sort of raw base tables that we fetch directly from the, the nodes. So this is your Ethereum transactions your Ethereum logs, your Solana instructions. Now, this data is typically quite hard to work with for humans as well. And so the next layer in the stack is what we call the decoded layer. This is where our community crowdsource what's known as ABIs and IDLs for Solana to turn the raw data into human-readable data. So it will basically take you from abstract byte arrays to nice looking tables that tells you every single trade on Uniswap. Then on top of that, our community curates a number of data sets that we call Spellbook. Um, there's a connection to wizards there. And this is where data from, from all these underlying layers come together to form data sets like decentralized exchange trades, NFT trades, um, et cetera. So this is like the most valuable and most synthesized data. And so you can use this data immediately when we launch our natural language querying capabilities. But right now, we're not able to join multiple data sets from the raw category. It's a little bit of a nuance, but eventually you'll be able to do all of this. So we're going to take a pause right now to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be back right after. This episode is brought to you by Visa one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibilities, and Visa's helping everyone take part. Consumers can now enjoy the freedom and flexibility of using their Visa crypto link cards for everyday purchases at millions of Visa-accepting merchant locations around the world. Join us in this new money movement. Learn more at visa.com forward slash crypto. A lot of you know 11FS for our chart-topping podcasts, our events, videos, reports, and a bunch of other cool stuff that we do. But what a lot of you don't know is that this is just all our side hustle. We do so much more than that. At 11FS Ventures, we're partnering with ambitious businesses around the world to design, build, and launch truly digital financial services. We are building banks, shaping new propositions, and growing existing offerings that change the fabric of financial services. And our design, research, strategy and engineering experts are working to improve your customer's relationship with money. To find out a little bit more, check us out at 11fs.com forward slash ventures. Welcome back. In the previous two parts, we got familiar with Dune and took a deeper dive into their new LLM roadmap. So now we'd like to take a look at the bigger picture. So how does AI and ChatGPT play into all of this? And what can we expect from the meshing of AI and crypto in the future? So I think the, the, 
Dune ended the blog post with uh, the data must flow in the era of AI, right? Dot, dot, dot. So, Matt, uh, what's the role of ChatGPT? Is this the one model you guys are leveraging now? Is there plans for more? What, what is what is that construct uh, looking like you know, yeah. going forward? Internally in Dune, we currently build on OpenAI's APIs. So that means uh, primarily GPT-4, some GPT-3.5, and uh, text ADA for embeddings. And so that's where we primarily do our work. Now, if you follow the LLM landscape, things are happening in you know, lightning speed in the open source community, but also within companies like you know, Google. And so for now, we're working with OpenAI, but um, right now there's no telling sort of where the space ends up. Got it. So if you're, if you're an enterprise, <clears throat> I think one thing that's interesting is you know, everyone inside of a, a large bank, inside of a, any traditional enterprise, there's a significant amount of work on querying data you know, about your customers. And, and you have teams of data scientists and analysts you know, that have to use you know, you know, tools that likely have been around for a while. And it just takes time to access what the data is. And is it fair to say that because of the pace of innovation, both the crowdsourcing and now you know, the LLMs, it's going to be so much easier and faster to pull blockchain data than it will be to pull any other, you know, query any other type of data inside of an enterprise. Uh, and so blockchain data might be the first really valuable data set that has human language querying capabilities, partly because you can experiment with it because it is public, where there's a lot more risk, you know, if you're a traditional enterprise to say, do you want to put your data into, you know, GPT-4? And like, you know, what if it comes out someplace else? And like, that, that's a real challenge that I know many enterprises face today. And so is, is, is that the way you think about it? Like, do you, do you see it as like a training ground that people will learn how to query data on these public data sets, and then they'll take the lessons from that and figure out how to provide a same type of experience, but in a more controlled environment with private data sets? Or what's the relationship you know, between, between those two? That's a... Fantastic question and a really interesting way to think about it. So text to SQL is like a relatively well-studied academic problem by now. Researchers from the US, China, wherever have made fantastic strides to create sort of domain-specific models that do natural language querying effectively. Now, when GPT-4 was released, it blew all the other models out of the water on this particular problem. And so I think what you see now is not only Dune, but also some of the more forward-leaning uh, BI tools like Hex are adding you know, AI um, to their products to, to generate um, SQL. But as you know, like if I use Hex for my data, and you use text for your data, there's a pretty strict line not to cross. Like, we probably can't, or whatever company is, um, is training this AI probably isn't allowed to co-mingle that data. That's exactly where the interesting point you raise here, Kai, is it's really the multitude of queries that exist on Dune that target crypto data. 
And there's several hundreds, thousands of these that we can use to you know, fine tune and train models to become even better at this problem than in academia. So academia has to use relatively limited small artificial data sets uh, to train these models. And we have you know, all of crypto, all of Dune, Dune's uh, collective brain, so to speak. So I'm really excited about that future. And I, I think we'll, we can make some really, really big leaps here. And, and on, that, on that note, I mean, you, you brought one point on the regulatory side of things, which is uh, some of the stuff that we always, we always talk about here on the show, which is crypto is now being recognized as an industry by f- mostly financial regulators. And there is a very large space for regulators to benefit from having blockchain-like data available to prevent systemic risk, to do financial and regulatory reporting, and have monetary decision-making processes in place. Now, back to Kai's point, right now, all they have access to is private data that has been played with and generated from private data sets and are reported into the existing database and models. Now, what you guys are building with Dune and with the underlying data in the blockchain, have you had any encounter with regulators using Dune? And can you share what these encounters were and how the new AI version of Dune would play with regulators in that space? Yeah, so I can share that uh, we've had a number of inquiries from agencies from different parts of the world that, you know, even use Yoon for free occasionally. I can't go into what they use it for, but I think it's pretty clear that for good or bad, the data here is public. And so basically every single exchange in the space relies on chain analysis. So does probably every single regulatory agency. Actually, I don't really know how to answer this question. (laughs) It's basically just every regulator needs a Dune wizard. A Dune wizard on staff. That was my point. Like, yeah. j- just, yeah. just to be able to... Yeah. Well, and, and now with, uh, with the, the natural language, if you know regulation and, and if you can spell that in a question, then it might be much easier now to actually get some of that angle from the existing database, which in my mind, and it's my hope, and I've written extensively about it, is regulators, regulators coming on chain is going to be great for everyone. And we get to have a you know much better industry if that's the case. So that was my point. <laughs> Got it. I, I was hoping to unpack something you you said about how like, you know, for good or bad, the data is public. Like that, that's just kind of that's the reality in blockchains today. And in the future, we'll see what happens with privacy solutions. But right now, for good or bad, the data is public. And so for an enterprise. If an enterprise, whether it's a crypto exchange, whether it's a Web2 company, any company that wants to build on-chain products, what does that mean? And what are the implications of it? Because I can think about there's like the positive. I've heard stories of, uh, I think it was an NFT marketplace where they're like, yeah, a lot of the internal dashboards that we use for our company were built by like random people on crypto Twitter. And And so it's like, oh, there's a lot of investment in building internal dashboards like they're internal product teams and now if your dashboards can be built by community members for free that's pretty cool but then on the other hand if your product's not performing well those community members are building dashboards to tell the world that your product is not performing well and so 
how should an enterprise think about both the opportunities and the risks of building a product that has some on-chain data? And just should they expect that it's a matter of time before some dune wizard sleuth figures out that's their address and like now their dashboards all around showing their data? Yeah, it's really interesting because once you build on a chain like Ethereum, you're wide open to anyone to see who's interacting, how are they using your product. And, you know, that may sometimes be really positive because you may be the best performing NFT marketplace or decentralized exchange or lending protocol. But, you know, sometimes you may not be. And so it really plays both ways. But what it really does play to is transparency. And I think it really increases the pace of iteration and innovation in the space because we can learn from each other. When the source code of DeFi protocols are open source, you see others spinning off that. And when when you add to that the usage of these protocols, like where the friction points are, you can learn in an incredibly rapid pace. But of course, you're also exposed to, you know, airing your dirty laundry, so to speak, your bad product metrics, et cetera. And I think for enterprises, maybe that's a hard pill to swallow. It, it seems like it massively increases competition. Anything that you're doing that's working, that generates revenue, you should expect that everyone sees it working. <laughs> and so it's like, most of the time, you can have enterprises generating revenue and like other people don't know how much revenue they're generating. And so just that ability for people to monitor and see an on-chain product, see that it's working, and then see the smart contract and be able to replicate and compete with it. But then again, you could also say it's almost like a, a viral coefficient where when people see it's working, then more people see it and hear about it. And then there are headlines about how well it's working. And so it's just an entirely different world that doesn't seem like it's going away, but is going to be a, a challenge for people to manage the risks while, you know, trying to take advantage of the opportunities. I would offer an additional view to that guy, which is that is probably the first opportunity we have in capitalism to be truly customer centric. Because now, because the data is public and everyone is competing for that attention, if you build something that is great and someone copies it and makes it even better on a, like a vampire attack and uses all of that available data to make that decision, if we're benefiting the customer in that way because we're offering better services with better rates or better models, I mean, we can all say that Web2 was very customer-centric, but it was all walled gardens, so you couldn't be industry-wide customer-centric. Now, with the availability of data and, and the intelligence that's being built through you know Dune and the like, this is going to be really the one opportunity we have to be truly customer-centric because, well... Maybe wallet-centric, <laughs> if that's the case for now, but uh, thinking about that. So is there, is there anything going forward uh, with Dune, uh, Matts, that, that points to that? And, and what is the role you expect to play in that kind of consumer transformation? Yeah, so we've obviously played a, a huge role, I think, in providing transparency and auditability and... Um, general product metrics to anyone interested in the space. And we're really devoted to doing that going forward. Now, we're also really focused to empower the builders, the teams that are building new products and innovating. And that's really our main focus now is ensuring that they can build better products because of the data that's on you. 
And that means on the one hand, you know, to build team functionality, but also devoting more energy to our API and allowing people to use the data in different ways. So uh, right now our, our API product is primarily focused on still on analytical works, work uh, loads. But we also want to venture into a space where you can use students more of it, more as infrastructure for your company if you're building. And so we're really excited about that. Yeah, I, I, can, I can definitely see a future where by the use of that type of infrastructure, you have runtime, potentially runtime decision-making within a smart contract sourcing data from the likes of doing, asking questions that are specific for a particular business event to trigger. So it's the ultimate composability is self-referencing data from the blockchain into the smart contract in runtime. That's going to be very exciting. So what is next for Dune? I mean, I know you guys have this uh, natural language coming, but you know, is there a, por a portion of that roadmap you can uh, share with us? For sure. We've talked about natural language querying. We're also working on allowing you to understand more of everything on Dune using large language models. So having a bot that lets you navigate the data, navigate our docs, navigate existing queries and dashboards, and basically that you find the information that you want. Search on Dune is a growing problem. As Dune has racked up hundreds of thousands of queries, users, dashboards, finding that one dashboard that you're looking for that has the piece of information that you want is really something that is difficult today and that we hope will be a lot easier with the use of large language models. Then the second trend that we're really excited about, which isn't LLMs, is starting to bring your own data into Dune. And so this week, we announced the first iteration of our Write API, which lets you basically upload CSVs to Dune. In addition, we've onboarded now, I think, three or four uh, what we call community data sets, which is data sets that is produced by you know, teams in the community. So one of the most, um, one of the most used data sets is one from Flashbots. We also have from Snapshot. And we're really, really pushing to make this more available so anyone can self-serve new data sets onto Dune so that we can get even more collective understanding of this. Then for teams building in the space, the ability to do this in a private manner and join all your private data with all the stuff that's going on on Dune, on public blockchains, et cetera, is also really exciting, I think. Well, if I'm a regulator and I'm not excited about the data availability to me right now, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. So this is pretty exciting. Um, before I wrap up, any, any, any last questions, Kai? Yeah, I was just curious, when you think about the intersection of AI and crypto you know, broadly, are there other areas that you're excited about? Like, it seems like there are a ton of applications with querying data, like, and that may end up being the, the biggest impact. It seems like there are applications around writing and auditing smart contracts, being able to do that more quickly and more efficiently. And we hear about, you know, those use cases. Are there any other use cases that you see AI starting to impact the, the crypto industry? Yeah, there's one area which I think is both really exciting and a little bit scary. And that's that, you know, crypto is the only type of money that an AI can use without anyone stopping it. So if you give AI, if you give GPT-4 a Ethereum plugin and a private key, what will it do? And I think this is both really exciting to see what an AI will do when you uh, prompt it to interact with the blockchain. And also, you know, it's a little bit scary, to be honest, like, 
but uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure somebody will do this very soon, and uh, we'll, we'll get to see the outcome. Cool. Yeah. Scary, exciting. It's, it's going to be a fascinating, <laughs> a fascinating few years, and things are definitely only speeding up. But appreciate you you sharing your your insight. Excited to play around with these tools and uh, see the community of Dune Wizards continue to grow. Absolutely. So that wraps up uh, today's discussion. Thanks uh, all so much for joining us, Matt. Where can people find more about you and the work you're doing with Dune? Yeah, great. You can find me on mewwts on Twitter. Or on Dune.com. Great. Kai? On Twitter at Kai Sheffield and Visa.com slash crypto. And you can find me at Xerox Mauricio on Twitter, Mauricio Magaldi on LinkedIn, and 11fs.com. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcasts so you never miss an episode. We have lots in the works, and we're so excited to be talking about crypto and blockchain with you again. If you can't wait until the next episode, take a look at the many previous episodes on the catalog and get yourself properly immersed in the world of crypto. And if you really love it, please leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Blockchain Insider or email us at podcasts at 11FS.com. This is all for today. Stay rare, stay weird. LFG.